Who's glad they came? I don't intend to fix that, by the way. That's great. It's great to see you. Um, my name's Jamie. Uh, you might have known that. And uh, I'm finishing today the final part of our series that I've enjoyed. I don't know about anyone else called, Is Your Christianity Too Safe? And the principle, the idea, the thinking behind it is that it's just tempting, isn't it? Just to start to build these walls of comfort around us. And just to isolate ourselves a bit and just to look after the status quo and make sure things are working just nicely for me. The danger is if we do that, we might start to miss the point. And the danger is we begin to close ourselves up to what God might want to do in and through us. And we probably hold ourselves back from pressing into the fullness of what the Lord has for us. And we don't want to do that, do we everybody? No. No, Caroline and I agree. So, uh, the, the final part of the series, so no doubt you are chomping at the bit. No doubt the question is, where, Jamie, would you like me to stretch now? You know, you've already got me worshipping my heart out. You've already got me responding radically. I'm, I'm praying dangerous prayers now by the minute, if I'm honest. I'm embracing all the mess, any mess that I can find. I'm loving like a tiger. Well, do you know what? I think I've left the best to last. <laughs> and today I'm going to talk about probably the biggest stretch of all. And that is, will you trust God with your money? Uh-oh. So I reckon there are three ways that, that people teach on money. The first way is to ignore it. Because it kind of agitates people. It's a bit challenging. I think probably because money is very personal to us. And that's something we do tend to close the door around. And I suspect that's why Jesus talked about it so much. So number one is to ignore it. Why would you ignore it? We all have it. We all deal with it on a daily basis. We we can't afford to ignore it. So we're not going to do that. Number two, uh, way number two is you better obey God. Or else. Number two. Number three is we have before us a fantastic opportunity to trust a God who can do so much more than we can. Okay, let's have a vote. We'll cut straight to the chase. Who thinks it's going to be number three this morning? You're quite right. As usual, the overriding principle is this. Are you going to do it your way and thus get your best results? Or are you going to trust God's way and open the door to supernatural intervention? You see, in the context of this particular series, you can play it safe financially. You can use your money to keep you and yours comfortable. And after all, who doesn't like comfortable? I love love comfortable. You know, you can even dig a hole in the ground, as it were, and bury your talent. Or you can choose to take a risk on God. You can choose to really take him at his word. You can choose to take his promises dead seriously. 
you can choose to buy into the principles of sowing and reaping. And you can ask God to, to make you radically generous. And so that's what we're going to do today. But before I can get too far into that, I, I want to deal with, with the root issues underlying this topic. And they are number one, whom do you trust? And number two, whom do you serve? Good questions. Fair questions. And in the context of both of those two questions, Jesus made it absolutely crystal clear that it will either be him or it will be money. He made it crystal clear that you cannot trust both. You cannot serve both. Just quickly, for the sake of time, in Matthew 6, right in the middle of that amazing Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said, No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. Think about that for a second. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. You cannot. Backtracking a couple of verses, in, in verse 19, Jesus also said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. And here's the kicker, verse 21. For where your treasure is, and I'm confused about what your treasure is, by the way. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, your attitude to money cannot be separated from your attitude to God, vice versa. You, you either have money or money has you. I've heard it said that, that money is a wonderful servant, but a terrible master. And as we read in, in Matthew chapter 6, jumped out to me, if you are devoted to money, you will inevitably come to despise what God says about it. And, and verse, Matthew 6, verse 21, your heart will, will gravitate to where your treasure is invested. It just will. You cannot break those principles. So here's the challenge. Three questions. Number one, do you really trust God with your money? Really? Trust God. Number two, would you say that your financial habits accurately reflect what the Word of God and what Jesus teaches about money. And then question number three, when the Holy Spirit prompts you to give, what's your instinctive response? I could have fun with all of those questions. I haven't really got time to dig into them in great detail. Do you know, what I wanted to do today was look at, at I just said, didn't I? Does, does your financial life, your habits, accurately reflect what the Word teaches about money? So if I'm going to ask that question, I really ought to answer what the Word teaches about money. 
and I've got about 15 minutes. So I'm going to go as quick as I can. Essentially, three main biblical teachings on money. Okay? There are more. Three main ones. Number one is first fruits. Number two is tithes and offerings. And number three is generous, cheerful giving. Now, I don't have time to dig into it today, but that there is much debate about whether tithing is still for today, whether it actually is an Old Testament principle. And I haven't got time to argue the whys and wherefores of that today, although I do intend to teach on tithing and offering. But what I will say is if you, in your own mind, have excluded number two, the good news for you is it still leaves you with number one and number three. So you don't miss out. That's good. So, I'm going to work through each of those for five minutes or so each and then pull it all together. And by five minutes, I probably mean ten, possibly fifteen, but that's fine. So, number one, first fruits. Let's read from Proverbs chapter 3. And I'm deliberately going to read quite a long stretch, although I've missed a couple of verses out just to speed things up a bit, because it sets the scene a little bit. So Proverbs 3 verse 1, which is just a fantastic uh, chapter, says, My son, I think it applies to you daughters as well, My son, my daughter, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Do you believe that? Then drop down to verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, I'm cheating a bit reading that, because you've already got a certain idea in your head through which the lens of which you can see that verse. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Here we go. Verse 9. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. And this is how I... I read the whole passage because, because it all plays its part in leading up to verses 9 and 10, which are the ones that I want just to zoom in on. So, so verses 1 and 2 talk about attending to the Word of God. Verses 5 and 6 talk about that wholehearted trust. Verses 7 or 8 ask us whether we, we intend to be wise in our own eyes, or whether we're going to fear the Lord. And that all sets up verses 9 and 10, which I'm calling the principle of the first. The principle of the first. Firstborn, the Bible talks about the firstborn, it talks about the first day, and it talks about the first fruits. I've preached on this before, I'm going to go through this really quickly. Number one, the firstborn belongs to God. Exodus 13, verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Dedicate to me, Every firstborn among the Israelites, the first offering to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. Personally, I have no problems with that. I I dedicated my firstborn, I dedicated my secondborn, and I dedicated my thirdborn. I've got no problems with that verse. 
The firstborn belongs to God. The second one is the Sabbath is the first day of the week. I know in our calendar sometimes we have it as the last day, but technically it's the first day. Acts 20 verse 7 says, On the first day of the week we came together to break bread. So it's the first day of next week, not the last day of last week. Got that sorted. And then the third one is the first fruits, as I've just read. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. So, so I want to talk just briefly about, about the, fir- the, the principle of the first. The principle of the first is not about an egotistical, demanding, attention-craving God who's sitting in heaven with his thumb in his mouth saying, if you don't give me my fir- your first, I'm going to sulk. Okay? That is not what we're talking about. What we're talking about here is that God knows that what has hold of your heart has hold of you. And God knows that if we get everything in the right order, he knows what happens. God knows what happens when we get everything in the right order, and he knows what happens if we don't. And so he says, love God first. He says, seek my kingdom first. He says, give to me first. And so we should give God the first of our time and the first of our affection and the first of our service and also the first of our wealth. But but there's good news here. I didn't read just then, verse 10, it says, if you will do that, then, consequence, your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Back into Matthew chapter 6, just hinted at it. Matthew 6, 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, you've got to go and read the whole chapter, all these things will be added to you as well. If we get it in the right order. You see, if we have the order right, money becomes a blessing rather than a curse. For many people on this planet... Money's a curse for those people who got it and for those people who haven't. You see, when we open our hands to God, he's able to open his hands to us. You see, God longs to bless us, but we have to do it his way. We have to get things in the right order. Okay, that was that one. I told you it was going to be quick. Number two is tithes and offerings. I'm going to read the, the standard passage, Malachi chapter 3. As it happens, I've been reading through the Old Testament in a year. It's taken me 15 months because I colour it in. It finishes at Malachi 4. This morning, I read Malachi 3. How about that? The good news is tomorrow I finish. Yay. Got to think what to do next. Malachi 3 verse 8. Strong words. It says, should people cheat God? This is God speaking to the Israelites. He says, yet you have cheated me. Doesn't sound like a good thing to do. But you ask, what do you mean? When when did we ever cheat you? Which is pretty rich when you've just read the whole of the rest of Malachi, incidentally. And God says, you have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. He says, you are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. 
Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed. For your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Okay, so the idea here, the summary is, the idea is that the tithe belongs to God. It's not actually yours in the first place. And that God asked you to honour him with the first, previous principle, the first tenth of your income. That God invites you to trust him and God invites you to do it his way. And the thing is, as we read through that verse, in doing just that, what you do is you place your finances under an umbrella of blessing. And then there's this extraordinary promise that the God can do more with your 90% if you do it his way than you can do with your 100% if you do it your own way. That's the miracle of the promise. But let's go back to the start, to, to verse 8. Malachi starts, Malachi 3 starts with, with a striking accusation from God to his wayward people. And they were wayward. Verse 8, you have been cheating me. That, that literally means you have been robbing me. In fact, that's how most uh, translations render it. You have, you have been robbing from me. Now, now here's a a simple statement of truth. You can only rob something from someone if it actually belongs to them. So you can only be robbing God of that tithe if the tithe belonged to them in the first place. Otherwise, you wouldn't be robbing, would you? Hence the statement, the idea that the tithe actually belongs to God. It's never yours in the first place. Then he goes on to say, because you've done this, because you've been robbing from me individually, in fact, as a whole nation, because you've been doing that, you've actually placed yourselves under a financial curse. And he uses that word. What you've done is you've stepped out from under my blessing because you've disobeyed my word. And surprise, surprise, doing that has brought some negative consequences. Then let's look at the next verse. This is God's command. I I, I can feather it nicely. This is what the Lord asketh of thee. It's actually a a straight imperative. Verse 10, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. In this case, the temple, essentially saying, bring all the tithes into my house. That's the command, that's the imperative. And then look at the next slide. Look at the stunning promise. Before we start feeling sorry for ourselves, let's start looking at the extraordinary promise that comes next. God says, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great, you won't have room enough to take it in. Anyone fancy the windows of heaven opened right above their head? (laughs) What about a blessing so great 
You won't have room enough to contain it. That's what it says. I don't know about you. I could squeeze just a little more into my bank account, if I'm honest. But here's the kicker. Look at this. At the end of verse 10, it says, try me. He says, put me to the test. Essentially, God's saying, come on, here's the principle, guys. Test me out. As I understand it, this is the only time in Scripture where God specifically says, in this, I want you to test me. As I read this, it's almost like a dare. Go on. Give it a go. Take a risk. Try, Try it out. Yeah, I know this is your income, I know it's your hard-earned corn, literally, I, I know it's your family's livelihood, but are you going to trust me or not? And you know, when push comes to shove, it, it nearly always comes down to, will you trust me or not? But then look at the benefits. Verse 11, your crops will be abundant. For I will guide them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all nations will call you blessed, for the land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. In other words, trusting God with your tithe places you under divine favour and divine blessing. It also places you under a divine financial protection. In other words, God commits himself personally to watching over his promises. We know that he does that. And he commits himself personally to watching over your finances. For me, when you read this passage, if you really believe what it says, then the logical conclusion here is that the risk isn't choosing to tithe. Actually, the risk is choosing not to. Just to wrap this section up, I want to tell you a, a story going back for a few years. Friends of mine, uh, this is when I was young, a long time ago, um, and this uh, guy was a youth pastor and his wife was a, a, a student teacher. I'm not going to tell you their names, but I said that last week and they did in the next sentence. But I'm not going to tell you their names. Now, we, we'd had many conversations about tithing. So, so this is not new for you guys. I've been badgering people with this for decades. I apologize. Um, but, you know, in spite of my, my encouragements, my explanations, my um, stirrings, his perspective was because they were on a ministry income. They were on a youth pastor's income. Okay. His perspective was, do you know what, I, I, I tithe my time. My, my, my ministry time is my tithe. And, and in, in very subtle, gracious, merciful fashion, I probably pointed out in this particular chapter, that's not what it's talking about. And so there was this, this constant encouragement for me to, to this uh, husband and wife, to, just to put God to the test. You know, God has said... Try me, test me. Anyway, at some point, I had, I had a ex- very excited conversation with, uh, with this young man. 
And, and he excitedly shared with me that, that, that that day, someone had bought them a brand new, rather flash banking nice new television. Which when you're on a youth pastor's salary, that's a real blessing, right? But that wasn't the kicker. The kicker was that he reported back that he and his wife had just decided that very week that they were going to do this. They decided they were going to step into boldly into this principle. They were going to take a risk on the promises of God. And it did not take God very long to start acting on his promise. I love that story. Um, Number three, uh, generous, cheerful giving. This is um, jumping into the New Testament now. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Again, a reasonable stretch here. And it says this, Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Why? Because it reminds him of Jesus. Verse 8, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Verse 10, Now he who supplies seed to the sower... And bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I apologise if that passage is a little too subtle for you. So going back to the start of that, verse 6 is the, the eternal... Uh, principle of sowing and reaping. And we're given a choice, essentially, here. The choice is, on one hand, to sow, to sow safely and to sow sparingly. On the other hand, we can take a risk and sow generously and lavishly and boldly. And, of course, as it says, you will reap accordingly. Then verse 7 says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. What he's saying here is this is, this is a heart thing. This is a, a free will thing. The God's call to us is to become cheerful givers. And as we, again, as we read that passage, the expectation is if we do it God's way, do you know what? We step onto the rock. I don't know where you're standing in your finances right now. The, the picture is the rock or the sand, right? When you start doing it God's way, you move out of the sand and onto the rock. You move out of the curse into his blessing. And you place yourselves under a divine protection and you open yourself up to his gracious provision. I'm going to read those fantastic promises again. Verse 8, God is able to bless you 
abundantly. Verse 10, he will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Who doesn't want that? Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. Remember at the start, I said there are three ways that people teach on on giving. The first one is to ignore it. It's a bit embarrassing. The second one is obey God or else. And the third one, which I've chosen, is we have before us a fantastic opportunity to trust a God who can do so much more than we can. Right, okay. My, the three principles. I just want to tie all of that together. You know, for me and, and for Catherine, personally, we are settled and happy with the principle of tithing. So a little bit why that in a minute. Which means for me, God gets, God gets my first 10%, which, which means 10% of my income before the tax is taken off. God gets that. He gets it. First, actually, it goes out of my bank account pretty much the same day as the salary comes in. Hopefully not the day before, because that's not so good. John, that principle has worked just fine for me for the last 30 or so years. But as I said, if for whatever reason you are not at peace with that, and I don't have time to dig into the theological arguments there, you still have the principle of the first that God gets the first and the best part. I'll let you consider what that might look like for you. We also have the, the challenges and the promises, <coughs> excuse me, of 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And I could have produced several other similarly compelling passages. For, for me, the, the benefits of choosing to tithe are this for me. Number one, it makes it regular. Number two, it makes it proportional, which I think is a biblical principle. And number three, it makes it sacrificial. Do you know what? It costs a little bit. And as I think about this, I'm very, very happy for my giving to be all three of those things. I'm convinced that if my giving is regular and proportional and sacrificial, that can only be a good thing. After all, back to the the, the theme of the series, if you like. Who ever said that Christianity was supposed to be without cost? Who ever said there was supposed to be no sacrifice? David, didn't he say, I refuse to give anything to the Lord that doesn't cost me? Who said Christianity was supposed to be safe and easy and comfortable? So I'm going to ask that, that meddling question again. Not, not is your Christianity too safe. I'll ask you like this. Is your giving too safe? I'm saying with a beaming grin on my face, because I love you. I'm not trying to criticize you. I'm not trying to threaten you. I'm just asking the question. And I'll be honest, I, I look back into my past, and there have been the times where my giving has been more risky than it is now. And that's the spirit behind this series, constantly looking to say, it's easy for us to just become a little bit comfortable, a little bit safe. Do you know, I've, I've heard stories of people in churches preaching. Joni heard the message here, 
on embracing the mess, went back to her church in London and they preached the same message that same night. Craig Rochelle has just produced a book, he's one of my heroes, called Praying Dangerous Prayers. I'm convinced that this is just a little prophetic message for our time for the church. Are we playing it too safe? Or are we prepared to press in to the fullness of what God has for us? So here's the question, and I'd like you to take it before the Lord today. Is your giving too safe? Do you really trust him? I mean, I've, I've lobbed out there some pretty meaty promises with some pretty hairy benefits in, in there today. Can you have hairy benefits? Can now. I'm the preacher. If I say it, it must be true. Okay, do you really trust him? Are you prepared to trust that God can do more with your money if you do it his way than you can if you do it yours? That's a no-brainer question for me, incidentally. I, I measure God against me, and it can only swing one way. Here's the challenge. Would you consider taking a risk on the principles and promises of God? And Here's my swing. I don't think that's the risk. I think the risk is not stepping on the promises and the principles of God. Because, you know, if you do, you open the door for God to get supernaturally involved in your financial life. Let's pray. I'm going to invite the worship team to come forward if they wouldn't mind. Thank you for listening so patiently. Thank you for not throwing rotten tomatoes at me. Please stand. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to kind of open it up. And I'm, I've given you a challenge, as always. Just take it to the Lord today. Father, we want to thank you that you are a good God. Thank you that you are a God who works good. Thank you that you are a God who longs to bless us. Thank you that you are a God who has a good plan for us. All you ask is that we put you first. All you ask is that we honour you, that we worship you, that we submit to doing things your way, which, let's face it, is the very best thing that we can do. So, Lord, in this area, I know it's a hot-button issue for all of us. We all have it. We all deal with it on a daily basis. Holy Spirit, I just ask you to speak to our hearts today. The challenge is, have we become, or are we just a little too safe? When the Holy Spirit is whispering, are we listening, or are we tucked away where it's safe and comfortable, or are we prepared to say, God, if you say give, my answer is how much and how soon? Holy Spirit, come show us individually how we should steward our finances for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.